Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as our guest speaker delivers this week's message. My name is Bill Kolb. I'm 77. My knees are about 95. (laughs) We're glad to be here today. Um, I was privileged to be on staff here from February of 1974 to May of 1975. Doris, would you stand, please? This is a nice lady who made it happen with me all these years. I keep wanting to say how long we've been married, but I forget and get in trouble. <laughs> but I'm 57 years. Did I get that? What? 58. 58. All right. Be a long ride home. For sure. How many of you were here when my wife and I lived across the street by the bus barn? Some. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And... Uh, I appreciate that, and and, uh, people were very kind to us then. I will tell you that uh, Brother Dwayne Champion was a pastor, and he and I, we we hit it off pretty good. Um, He um, visited me in LaSalle, Peru, Illinois, actually it was Spring Valley then, where that we started a church, and we had been into our six and a half year. I was tired. I don't mind telling you. I was tired, worn out, and if I had a good excuse, I'd leave. And I know that wasn't very spiritual, but about that time, I probably was not all that spiritual. But I still was sticking by it, and I still was going to still stay the course. But he showed up at our door one day and said, hey, Bill, we had a fellow by the name of Chuck Esterline that was here, and uh, Chuck uh, left staff, and he was in charge of our bus ministry. And he said, our bus ministry is big, and we'd like to know. Before he could finish the sentence, I said yes, because I was just... I, I, God had prepared my heart to find some place. And whether you know it or not, this church was very instrumental in helping me take a deep breath to stand back and be ready for the next thing. God did call me to preach, to pastor, and uh, I, I didn't know how long I'd be here, but the longer I was here, the more I wanted to pastor again. And so Brother Champion did help me find a church in Springfield, uh, Missouri. Uh, it was West Division Street Baptist Church. In fact, um, Ray and Connie Aller were here the year, year before, and I, we knew them and, and met them. And when we went to the church where I became the pastor, and God worked it out, they were already members there. So we, uh, were, we had a way to continue our association with Calvary Baptist. So thank you so, kind, uh, so kindly for uh, helping us to have a good year. We had three children, lived across the street. Um, my job was a bus ministry. We had 10 buses, 10 bus routes. In fact, we had more than 10 buses. Anytime you have 10 bus routes, you need more than 10 buses. And, and so um, we were across there. I've had many memorable things, things that were first. And I'll just mention a few, and we'll get moving along. Um, <clears throat> this is where I learned to love fish as a main course. As bus director, I was challenged and to uh, keep the buses full. We, that year, that calendar year, we averaged 325 on the buses. We had 10 routes. We had bus bucks, if any of you remember those. 
and we had an ice cream uh, van. We, uh, there's an ice cream outlet over here, Dairy, and we'd go buy their overages, and uh, kids would get the bus bucks, and we'd run each route every um, week, and we would trade ice cream for bus bucks. People would try to come up and buy it with money. Now, we couldn't let them do that. It had to be bus bucks or nothing. And so uh, we certainly enjoyed that, but we did things. We promoted. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember promotions, and we did. And uh, one of the things that I did, I did it three times when I was here. I swallowed goldfish. Once was I had to practice before I did it in public to make sure I could get it down. <laughs> I was told that if I kept it in water and then put it into clean water and then poured that out and put it in more clean water and I, and I guzzled it down then, it wouldn't be so bad. And so um, right out here where these big three trees are, they were smaller then and the buses would pull up there and it was gravel, I think, out there. And the buses would pull up and we, had, we got them around and I chugged uh, goldfish and did it one other time I practiced before then. Um, I, I also remember, and by the way, I enjoyed that ministry. I really did. Um, people sometimes are almost ashamed of bus ministries. I never was, and I'm not today. Um, I did also have obligations. You remember the bus barn? Anybody remember the bus barn across the street? Okay. Well, what it was, there were pigeons in there. Pigeons, lots of pigeons. And pigeons do what pigeons do. <laughs> Brother Champion said, Bill, in the loft, if we don't get that pile and layer of pigeon dung out of there, that roof's going to cave in. And so he didn't ask me. He said, clean it out. <laughs> so there was a hole up there, kind of like for a loft, and I put a ladder up there, and I started shoveling away. I, I shoveled just so I could get a foothold. I cleaned around it, and it fell down. And so um, we did it, and we did more and more and more, and we had a pretty good pile of stuff there. And so uh, I don't know if you remember the Hoffmeisters, Jane and Betty Hoffmeister, some of you may. Uh, Jane was a sympathetic and kind man, and he lettered the buses and did a lot of things. Um, Jess Holt was a real help. Anyhow, somebody convinced me to get a hose, and spray because the dust was so heavy. I didn't have sense enough to get a mask. And so um, it was up there, and so they sprayed down below. And I remembered this. I remembered getting out of there, get out and try to get some fresh air. And I put one, fo one foot on the step, on the rung of the ladder. And as I was putting the other, I realized that the moisture had turned the pile of pigeon stuff to a slime and the bottom of the ladder went out from under me. I will tell you, uh, to fall that height, uh, honestly, no pun intended, I was never so glad to land on a pile of pigeon manure in my life because the floor was concrete. And so take your pick, right? But those are things that staff people do. I wasn't laughing then. But I have laughed about that any number of times since. And uh, so, I, honestly, my wife and I did enjoy our time here. And uh, we need to now invest ourselves in the Word of God. 
Uh, you are my brothers and sisters uh, in many ways. I just want to tell you the good news is Christ died for our sins. The good news is that if you're saved, you will not bust hell wide open when you die. The bad news, the very bad news is be a church member, be whatever in the world you want to be. Uh, but I will tell you this, if you don't have Christ in your heart, if you don't have him as your savior, you're headed to a sinner's grave in a devil's hell. There is no third place. There's no other option. There's no other choice but that. And that is receive Christ and, and have him in your life and have the best of life and um, ha allow him to work through you and to help you in the sanctification process after salvation. That is a wonderful life and that is the best life. Uh, of all the people in the Bible, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this, whom would I be like? What person in the Bible is most like me? Or how am I like a certain person in the Bible? And I, I, you might, ladies, you might come up with a Ruth or uh, a, uh, uh, you might come up with a Deborah or you might come up with a, uh, one of the Marys, uh, a Martha. You might come up with, some of the fellows might come up with a Joshua or a Moses or an Abraham. I come up with Jacob. Jacob just had a way of stumbling forward in life. And that's kind of how I feel that God has blessed me and helped me. He's challenged me uh, to be his servant. He saved me. I was saved when I was a church member. So I don't mind talking to church members about uh, their soul because uh, you need to know that you're saved. This is a no-so salvation. The Bible says we can know that we're born again. And so if you do not know that, don't, don't stand around and say, well, I'm embarrassed because I'm a church member. Better to be embarrassed if that's what you think. Most of us are going to cheer you on. If you're a church member and you say that you're not saved and you do get saved, hallelujah, we are for you. You have wised up, you got smart, and you're going to heaven, and you're not going to hell. And so uh, Jacob was a fella that reminded me of someone who was unsure of himself, he was a fellow that had a name. The name Jacob meant supplanter or deceiver or someone who would snooker you. I don't know if he was the first used car salesman or what. I said that one time and found out I had three used car salesmen in an audience, so that wasn't so good. But you get my point. You, you understand what I'm saying here, that his name indicated something. Was he a believer when his name was Jacob? Yes, God had offered him and given him the promises of Abraham, and God would not do that unless that he uh, was able to procure and own the promises of Abraham. Abraham, I'm gonna, uh, th th there's going to be a large nation come through you. Abraham, you're going to have all kinds of property. Uh, Abraham, kings are going to come through uh, your marriage and your kids and their kids. And so God gave that to him. And so, yes... Uh, Jacob was a believer, but Jacob struggled in his faith. Jacob struggled as a believer. Now, there was no cross. There was no Christ story. But nonetheless, there was a God story, and a story that had come to him through Abraham and Isaac and then all the way down to Jacob. And so what we're going to do, if you turn, please, to Genesis chapter 35... Genesis chapter 35. We're going to talk about Jacob, and we're going to talk about change. Jacob and change. That is, in the sense that we replace one thing with another, or we 
cause to become different. So first thing that it's still on the it's 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 still on the chart, it's still up for grabs, and that is your soul, believer, uh, a member, or regardless if you're a visitor here, ask yourself this question: Am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Is my soul secure? If I were to die, you, you say, oh, we hear this all the time. And I say it all the time, and yet there are people who get saved, uh, who listen to that, because the Holy Spirit of God comes, and I got saved that way. I was a church member, I said, when I got saved. But um, a change uh, would come into Jacob's life. And perhaps that there are changes that need to come into your life. One of those changes is salvation. If you uh, can uh, come to church and yet throughout the week you don't lift, lift a finger spiritually and your life uh, is a corrupt life and there are things going on that are an embarrassment continually and there's never a time of repentance, I seriously would go check and make sure that I am a believer. I would, I would open the Bible and I would ask the Lord, Lord, please, impress me where my spiritual condition is. I do believe that most people that come to church, for the most part, are believers. And they come because they want to. And you're here because you want to. Uh, as a pastor of many, many years, over 40 years of pastoring, I know this. I know that when it rains, Baptists um, just uh, don't, I don't know, we, we don't want to get out. We don't want to, we want to sit home and kick back and the rain is going to do something to us or spot our cars or one thing or another. And, and I'm glad that you're here. It says good about you that you are here. It says good about you that you're here at 930 and uh, that you uh, have been faithful during this whole COVID kind of thing. But yet there are changes that need to come that need to take place in your life. Let me read, please, from Genesis chapter 35. Now, it used to be in the olden days, we who stood behind the desk would say, open your Bibles and turn to. Today we say, open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles. How many of you this morning are turning on your Bibles? And you know what? I don't argue with that. I can't. That's the Word of God. It's there. Um, you know, I, 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 <clears throat> until God calls me home, when I'm in a pulpit, I'm going to look like this. Uh, I'm not really big into technology. I understand it and I appreciate I don't understand it well, but I do know enough to appreciate that God uses all kinds of venues like that. So Genesis chapter 35, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. God said unto Jacob, Arise, <clears throat> go to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fledst from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said, unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So God was with him back then and uh, therefore I rest my case on the fact that he uh, was a believer at the time. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and their earrings and which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities 
that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Keep in mind that the sons of Jacob, principally, I believe, Levi and Simeon, um, they slaughtered people. They slaughtered a city. Dinah, a daughter that had no business going into town there in Shechem, uh, was drawn into a very uh, immoral situation, and she was uh, treated poorly, brutalized. And um, the fellow wanted to marry her, and so they, the brothers of Dinah, in this case, Simeon, uh, Simeon and Levi, they, they made up a deal. They're kind of like their dad in this respect. They made up a deal and said, look, okay, we'll, we'll let you marry our sister, and we can kind of live here and side by side, and we'll kind of co-mingle a little bit. But what's got to happen is this. You have to have the, uh, you have to, your men have to be circumcised in this. Circumcision is a, a painful thing, and it takes a while to heal. And they weren't the most careful people in the world when that happened. So when all the men were hurting Simeon and Levi got up and killed them, killed the men. They took the city apart. They took women. They took children. They took some of the goods. In other words, they, they really weren't much better than the uh, people of the city and the fellow that uh, took advantage of Dinah. So uh, the terror, and, and Jacob said, you idiot children, you know what you've done? Everyone's going to hate us, and they're going to kill us. Um, and Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've troubled me to make me to stink. That's strong words. Saying to your kid, you've made me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. So the people around here, they're going to get the message. They're going to know. They're going to see the smoke go up from the city. They're going to understand what you've done. And they're going to come after us. They're going to get together, and we're dead people. So... Uh, they journeyed, and the terror, verse 5, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. So God put a fear in those cities. They didn't come after Jacob and his family, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and built there an altar and called, turn my page here, and called the place El Bethel because uh, there... Uh, God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak, and the name of it was called um, Alan Bakuth. Verse 9, And God appeared unto Joseph again when he came out of Padanaram. Padanaram is where Uncle Laban was. That's where he got his two wives. That's where all of his children were fathered and began... Uh, the uh, life journey together as a family. In verse 10, And God said to him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name. That is, God himself said, You are different now. You're not Jacob. You're not the deceiver. You're not the supplanter. You have learned some hard lessons. And so what I'm telling you is that you're a prince with God, Israel, means prince with God. What's the name of that nation today? It's called Israel, and rightly so. They adopted uh, that name for their nation. They are Israelites. In verse 11, God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. 
things shall come out of thy, and kings, excuse me, shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it, and to thy seed and after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So what happens is in this particular uh, portion of his life, there is a recounting of everything that happened before. Remember when he fled from his brother Esau. Mom helped him to pull one over on dad. Uh, Esau wanted to kill him. And so uh, mom said, you've got to get out of here. And even dad helped him get out of there. And what happened is that they sent him to Padanaram, to Uncle Laban, where eventually he would find his wives and raise a family. On the way there, he stopped at a place, and he, you know, the Jacob Ladder story, where he had a stone, and where that he, God visited with him, and he poured oil out in the stone, and it became a place of worship. It was an altar. It was a holy place. It was as holy as a church sanctuary where the people meet together uh, for worship, and so what happens is that uh, he says at the end of that, he says, surely God's in this place. And so, Lord, I promise that I will give a tenth or I'll give a tithe uh, wherever that I go and whatever I do as you prosper me. And God does prosper him. After he runs away from his father-in-law, dash uncle, after that he runs away from Laban, what happens is that uh, he uh, begins to be prospered by the Lord. God takes care of him. And he comes back to this very place. The story that I read to you in Genesis 35 is very, it is the same place and, and almost typically the same story as Genesis chapter 28. So what happened in 28 happens again in Genesis and chapter 35. All right, let's get to the idea of, of, um, of change. Um, God's people, you and I, those change. Not change that somebody does something to us. Culture like you have. this. I did that so that I could minister to people. I'm not sure if I needed it or not. I had it. I had antibodies in me, but I went ahead and got the shots so that I could sit down and talk to people and they would not have reason to fear me that I could continue in ministry. That was the sole reason uh, that I went ahead and did that. I've experienced personal change recently. We have too. Do you know how many new words are added to a dictionary every year anymore? It is fantastic, the number of new words that are added to dictionaries every year anymore. Technical terms, medical terms, invented terms, slang terms. And uh, I used to buy a Webster's Collegiate Dictionary every five years. I thought, Bill, you're so good. You go out and you're, you're concerned about words. Preachers ought to be concerned about words. And you buy these dictionaries. I can't keep up anymore. I quit buying them. I just cannot keep up with... Uh, the, some of the changes that are taking place. We make personal changes in dieting. Yeah, I know. Grammar, uh, we learn how to say things with verb and subject agreement, uh, how not to have double negatives. We make changes like that. We organize our time better. I don't know if you're a time waster or uh, you're just not sure how to organize your time. Uh, uh, and being on time, being on time. I've noticed this. I have to 
work a little harder to be on time anymore. I live about 11 miles from church now. And so we live in O'Fallon, Interstate 70. God bless Interstate 70, man. Boom. And we have to, if we have a problem there, why I'm usually not on time. Now, uh, here's another change, too. What about uh, computers, Internet, uh, the great whatever is out there, the WWW world? I'm not, I'm not big into that. How many of you struggle with that? How many of you know where the on and off button is, but not a whole lot more <laughs> after that? That's kind of me, but, and, um, and I'm glad also if I ever need something done on my TV, I get my grandkids. Hey, can you, uh, I'm busy right now. Would you do this for me? Well, and they do, and they'll go. We, um, we are open to change. We, uh, unless we make some changes, honestly, in this world and in this culture, we may not survive and at least not very well. One of the czars, it was the um, Catherine the Great, was very desirous of a f certain flower, and the first one that came up in the spring, by the way, this is 1776. And so the first flower came up in the courtyard of the, what we would call the Kremlin today, and, and so when that came up, she said, I want you to post a guard there that nothing happens to that flower. In 1903, the Tsar of Russia noticed a sentry posted for no apparent reason on the Kremlin grounds. And he said, what's that guy doing out there? Isn't he something else he could do just standing there in the middle of nowhere? You know what it was? They had carried on the tradition of going, of posting that guard there from 1776 to 1903. They posted a guard there every late winter and early spring in that one place, flower or not. And they had to go back and relive the story. There are times in which there are certain traditions that need breaking, certain things that need to move forward, certain things that need to change. Now, two things that I want to say to you this. By the way, um, let's see. Oh, there is a clock in front of me. I want you to know. Okay. I, I asked one of the brothers, I said, hey, uh, what, uh, what do you got going here? And, I said, you, I said, I left my cell phone in the car, and it's usually I lay it on the pulpit, and I can read it and uh, get the time. He said, right there. So it's right in front of me. Two, uh, two truths about change that I believe come from this particular text. The first is in verse 1. It says this, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fledst from the face of Esau, thy brother. So God speaks to him. God says, I want you to do certain things. And this is beginning of change. A lot of things are going to change in his life. There are at least two people in the story that are going to die reasonably soon, one of whom he loved very much, which was Rachel. Um, there's going to be a time in which that he is going to reorder the priorities of his family because here he is, God says, I want you to, I'm telling you, you go out there.
if we waited for every for preachers to supply all your spirituality, we're lost, folks. We're lost. You've got to you have got to come to God and you allow Him to be your God, and you've got to allow Him to visit with you. And you need to open this book. You need to open your phone. Fine, that works. Open the Bible uh, and read, and just have a Bible reading plan. You don't have to dig. You don't have to be a scholar. Just pray, God in heaven, feed me. Help me to see what's in this book. God, speak to me. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven churches that are mentioned there. And we're told that, um, that the Spirit of God would speak to them and that they, uh, if they really heard him and they paid attention, they would do what he is saying. And so the Spirit spoke to those churches the idea of God speaking in Revelation 2 and 3 wasn't just the dissemination of information. What it was, it was uh, telling them things about their church that needed to be different. When God uses his book, when God speaks, he wants to be glorified. But he wants us to be spiritual people that will glorify him. That there's going to be some changes made when you just look at what is said. But the first thing is this, you've got to listen to God if there's going to be any change in your life. If you will not listen to him, if you will not listen to him from what he is saying, whether it's Psalm 23 or, or John chapter 14 or Revelation 2 and 3, whatever in the world that it is, God has a message there. You are not a disinterested third party when it comes to the word of God. God speaks to us. God gives us, God gives us his heart's desire for our lives and for the lives of those around us. Now, uh, make an application here a little bit more. This is the dad. This is the patriarch. I don't know how many dads and patriarchs I have here uh, this morning, but I want to tell you this. God wants you to listen to him. I'm not saying you're going to carry a big stick and speak softly. That's not the point. You are going to hear what God has to say, and you are going to use your power and your influence in a God-given, gracious manner to inform your family and uh, your extended family that here is what God expects. We are going to church this morning. Ah, Dad! No, 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 no. You put your foot under that table, you eat this food, get in the car. We're going to church. We're going to be there. But Dad, but Dad, nothing. We're going to go to church. Now, let me tell you, I was that kid one time. I was. I had a job in Oakland, Illinois. I worked at a newspaper agency, and we had to count out papers and bundle them to go to this Walgreens. I don't think CVS existed then. And so I was tired when I got home. Now, I didn't matter, Mom. We were going to go to church. One Sunday, I convinced her, Mom, I don't feel good. I can't go. Mom, I can't go. Okay, get your pajamas on. Go, to, go, go back to bed. Well, I did. She got home. Dinner smelled good. I was feeling better already. Knock on the door. Some of my local homies coming over. Hey, can Billy come out and play baseball? We played baseball then, not softball. And so, can Billy come out and play baseball? And so, I'm getting, I'm putting on my blue jeans, slapping my leather. Going to go out there and have a great afternoon. No, 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 no. Mom made a point that day that I've never forgotten. She said, son, you still look tired and sick to me. So, son, take off the blue jeans, put your pajamas back on, and climb back in bed. 
Do you know how embarrassing that is to the guys, you know, your guy and the guys at the door, and you got to go, no, my mommy told me I couldn't go. <laughs> but the, I, I've never lost that illustration. I've never lost that thought. Because my mom made an impression on me that going to church was important because it was the house of God and the word of God and the people of God, and I needed to be there when they were there. I needed that for me. So here's some things he had to listen to. He said, arise, go up to Bethel. So he has now. He's back at Bethel now. He is now, he's already anointed the stone with oil. And uh, then we're told this. He said, I want you to worship there. Make an altar. Worship. I want you to go to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. In one place, it says El Bethel, meaning God, the house of God. Emphasis on that place is where that God met with him and God and, and it was a place of worship. So he says, I want you to get this going. Uh, we want worship and we want uh, righteousness that appeared unto thee. And then he says, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the faith of Esau thy brother. So he said, it's kind of a revival. We're going to go back and do things that we did before. Remember when you really loved me? Remember when you were running away? Remember when you were very fearful? And you, and you slept on a stone, and I visited you. And you anointed that the next morning. You said, surely God is in this place. He said, pal, we're going to go back to that. What about revival? Have we lost that sense, that personal sense of change? Do I need to change? I'm not into more and most. You know, you can always do more. That's just a guilt trip. That's not, no. Are you doing right or you're not doing right? Are you living for Christ or are you not living for Christ? How is it with you? Don't be afraid to ask yourself those questions. Challenge yourself. So not only do we this change accommodated because we listen, because we don't know what to fix, but God tells us what's broken. And God gives us the grace. That song, I never sang that song before. Grace upon grace. Did I get those words right? Grace upon, I, you know what? That's pretty, that's pretty good words. And so God does put grace upon grace. But if you want to be rebellious and stiff-necked, if you want to go through the motions, if you want to play church, you can do that. But there's not going to be any personal change in your life. So we, we need to have personal change. Here's some of the changes that took place in his life. Number one, he changed the location. Number two, he went from someone who was not actively worshiping God. When he pulled up beside the city of Shechem, there was no prayer meeting. There was no active worship of the Lord. And then his daughter fell into bad times, bad places. There's the attitude of a family. The attitude of his family is going to change. His name is going to change. And his future, uh, the promises to his future were going to change. All right. Second way that change happens. It happens by obeying the truth that we hear. I know that's not deep, and you probably said, why did I get out of bed to hear that? But obeying God. Now, I will tell you, that's not all. How many of you remember explicitly obeying your parents when you were young? Anybody? Anybody? We've had this past week the experience, and I, I love my grandkids. And uh, I, won't, I won't mention his name, but I noticed this kid, he's 12, not as tall as I am. He's a whole lot slimmer, slimmer than I am. And I noticed him. This kid is challenging me. 
You want to grab him right by the collar and slap him three or four times, but I'd never hear the end of that, and it would ruin all kinds of family stuff. So I'm not going to do that. In my heart, maybe, but that's about it. And so I expressed things to him about, you're going to help us eat the food that we eat, not just go pick out all the nice things that you want to eat out of the refrigerator. He opens the refrigerator door. It looks like he's having puppy love there or some great uh, uh, love attraction to the refrigerators. A look of satisfaction comes over his face. Well, you can eat about all you want, but listen, pal, we have, we're going to eat at certain times. We're going to eat certain things. And when the meal is served, you eat that. I got in real trouble one time. I had three kids from a missionary, and we were watching them. And we put the food out. And one of the children went downstairs and hardly touched his food. And I looked at the two girls. I said, where's your brother? I'm looking at a plate of food. We paid for that food. She prepared that food. We set the table. We're going to clean the dishes. And there's about 90% of the food left on the plate. I said, where is your brother? Well, he's downstairs playing a game, doing something. I said, go get him and tell him to come back and finish his food. Well, missionaries are loving people. And so to this day, I still get along with his mom and dad quite well. But I'm telling you that we sometimes, we, that's the way that we obey God. He gives us bunches and he blesses us bunches. He gives us life everlasting. He brings people into our lives that are good for us and bless us and encourage us. And we just are about 5% thankful. 5% obedient, 5% just, just kind of, okay, don't bother me, God. Just make sure I get food on the plate, and I'm good with that, and then I'll kind of do life how I want to do life, wrong. Allow God to make a personal change in your life. I need to do that in my life. We need to do that as a church. We need to reexamine our missions giving. We need to reexamine our evangelism. I'm talking about, are we flat out doing that? Are there things there that we are doing that God is telling us to do from his book? So the second truth is just obeying God. Obeying means that we take our responsibilities to our families. Obeying means that we have a plan of action. Put away the strange gods. Let's do that. Uh, gods that uh, rob your adoration from God. And if we do that, then we'll worship him. A strange gods uh, rob the time that you spend with God when you bow down before something else and you do it on a repetitive basis. That's, that's that much time that you're not leading your family. That's that much time that you're not bowing down to God and loving him. What's the greatest commandment? You're going to love God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your soul. The second is like unto it. You will love your computer time. You will love potato chips. You will la, 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 la. No, no, no. Just as much as we love, and by the way, you will never love your family the way that you should love your family until you first love God the way that you should love God. I want to encourage you, love God, listen to him, and then begin to obey him. Um, would you bow your heads with me, please? You bow your heads. Change. We need it. We get it by listening to God and then obeying what God has to say. You uh, 
can remain seated. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But I'm going to ask if a musician would just play any kind of nice hymn, Amazing Grace, or Just As I Am, or anything that God can use to speak to the heart and minds of people. And so I'm asking if this morning you would just say, Brother Kolb, I need to get my Bible open more. I need to be in church just every time the doors are open, or at least uh, make every attempt to get there. Brother Kolb, I need to be witnessing to my neighbor. I'm not talking about more, more, more. Uh, God will be happy if I do more. No, no, no. God be happy if you just do right. Just do right. Now, I'm, it's hard for me to see anybody here. It's dark. That's okay. Brother Kolb, I need to listen to God, and I need to lead my family spiritually. I need to obey God. What I know is right, I need to do right. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I know that there's some hands being raised. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you, right where you are, if you would pray and talk to God, enumerate specifics. Here's what I mean. God, help me, please, by your grace, to be faithful in your house. God, throughout the week, help me to open your book and digest it. Lord, I'm not real smart or I'm not even a good reader. But Father, will your Holy Spirit please teach me and lead me in what you're saying? There may be specifics there that only God and you know about right now. Pray those specifics. There may be, and maybe the opportunity. Brother Kolb, you've talked about things that I, I know better and think that I'm not doing with my life. And the sad thing is, I used to, and the sad thing is that I know better. The really sad thing is that I'm not doing better. Pray those things. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you pray that? We're just going to take a moment of silence. You pray and you talk to God. At some other time, or this morning if you prefer, find a deacon, find a staff person. Tell them the burden of your heart. Find a spiritual person in this church and say, pray for me. There are some changes I want to make in my life, and here are some of those changes. Friends, pray for friends. I'm going to be quiet. You pray.
Almighty Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, loving us so much that like Jacob, you put up with us when we were ornery people, when we were conniving people, sinful people, wicked people, dishonest people. Lord, you in spite of all of that, you allowed Christ to die for our sins. That's how much you loved us. Thank you for that. Father, we pray that if there are those here who are not believers, that they would consider their soul and their soul salvation. Help them to cry out to you and ask for forgiveness of sin and that Christ would live within them and save them. Father, for many of my fellow believers, and myself included, Lord, help us that we would have changes in our life that are Holy Spirit and Bible-directed. Tough things, Lord, but you're the God of tough things. You helped Jacob all that time. You helped him to go to where his uncle was to have a family. You protected him from Esau. You wrestled with him at the brook. Lord, you brought him back to the place where he started with you. And Lord, that's kind of what we're saying here today, that we want that place again, much like it was the first time we traveled there. It's still Bethel, the house of God. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for your kindness to us today. Lord, bless us. Send us to our homes with the blessing of God, with a determination for Holy Spirit change. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. My brother.